Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Hey everyone, Gil Gross here, and it is time for the final French Open Power Rankings here in 2023. It's all come down to this. It's been a terrific European clay court swing with uh, lots of great matches and lots of great storylines. And now it is time for the final installment of the French Open Power Rankings ahead of Roland Garros, where we put the title contenders in an ordered list. Keep in mind, these are not my predictions for what is going to happen at the French Open. So if you are somebody who likes to uh, go back on my old videos whenever I get something wrong and make fun of me for that. This is the wrong video. You want to go to the preview video and comment on that one because uh, for this, I interpret the evidence and what we've seen over the course of these players' careers and over the course of the last month or so and even 2023 in its entirety. And I try to interpret that evidence and make evidence-based arguments for how the players stack up ahead of Roland Garros with uh, subjective eye test stuff out the window. All right. It is May 23rd. I did miss the last French Open power rankings. That really should have been between uh, Madrid and, and Rome. But things were so crazy in my life and everything, I just couldn't make it happen. So it has been about a month since the last... French Open power rankings, and I don't, I won't talk about it, but it was April 24th, and this is what the last version of the French Open power rankings looked like. So you can pause the video if you want to take a look at this, but I am going to move on to the next out category, the players who were worthy of consideration, but did not make the top 10. And this is, by the way, in no particular order, but we will start with Lorenzo Musetti. After a very poor start to the year for the Italian, he's had a very consistent European clay court swing. Monte Carlo quarterfinal, Barcelona semifinal, Madrid first round. Uh, uh, so an early loss there, but a round of 16 in Rome. And in that stretch of events, three top 20 wins, which is a pretty solid number. He beat Djokovic and Monte Carlo. That's the big one. But he also nabbed victories over Cam Nori and Francis Tiafo. Unfortunately for him, when it comes to his top 10 contention, the history of contending for big titles just isn't there. He's never been to a major quarterfinal or a Masters semifinal. Really, the pinnacle of his career thus far is beating Alcaraz in that Hamburg final, a clay 500 last year, but not quite enough to garner top 10 consideration. Borna Chorich, 
Another guy who really turned things around, similar to Musetti, came into Madrid on a five-match losing streak, ended up making the semifinal there, and following it up with a Rome quarterfinal. In both cases, it must be said, the draw opened up for Borna Cioric. And as we speak, his best win on clay is over Hubert Hurkacz, who, as you can see by him not really being on this screen right now, is not someone whose level I regard very highly at the moment. Overall, I would have needed to see more big wins and consistency over longer stretches of time to consider him in the top 10. It's also a tad surprising to me that he's only made one major quarterfinal in his career. That was at the U.S. Open in 2020. Francisco Serendolo, his career high of 24 in the world is lower than usual for somebody who is on this list or on this screen, but he's picked up a great collection of wins this clay court season. Cam Nori, Casper Rude, Yannick Sinner, most recently in Rome. He's basically a forehand bot at this point, meaning the forehand kind of carries the rest of his game. There's nothing that he does exceptionally well at the very highest of levels, but that forehand is one of my favorite clay court weapons in all of tennis, and I think his results are beginning to to kind of bear out that advantage and show that he's not somebody who you want to play in the first week at Roland Garros if you're a high seed. Cam Nori, one of the hottest players from the start of the year all the way through to Indian Wells, but since then he's fallen off and he's really struggled on the European clay courts. Zero quarterfinals. Unlike Sarindolo, Chorich, and Musetti, who have all had big results uh, in recent times that have kind of propped up their status, Nori's recent results are not what puts him in the next out category, but rather his long-term last two years body of work. Uh, so while the form is a huge drawback, he's someone who's had back-to-back year-end top 15s, shown great flashes this year in 2023, and has five clay court finals to his name, two titles. The career accomplishments keep him in the next out. Okay, here's how I'm going to do this from now on. This is not usually how I do this. Usually I go one by one by one. But I do want to kind of show you guys the groupings, the players who I had trouble choosing between. And it'll kind of give you an idea of, of some semblance of tiers. All right? So... The first group of players here is at number 10, Alexander Zverev, and at number 9, Taylor Fritz. Zverev comes in a Roland Garros with an 0-6 record against top 20 opponents in 2023. His relatively low seed and his inability to grab a big win has really limited him here reaching the round of 16 at all three clay court masters, but losing to Medvedev twice and Alcaraz once. There's not much confidence right now, but there's still reason to believe that an elite level is somewhere in there if he can just tap into it. As for Taylor Fritz, started the clay court season with back-to-back -back semifinals at Monte Carlo and Munich, but has since then lost to Zhang Zhizhen uh, and Yannick Hoffman early. He needs more matches, and he's playing Geneva this week, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Fritz also has some demons to overcome, 
And I feel like he'll be putting a lot of pressure on himself to do well in Paris because three out of his last four defeats at majors have come against players outside the top 100. He has won his last four finals on tour, giving reason to believe that there's no systematic nerve management issue. But I do think that he's going to feel the weight of his recent major disappointments on his shoulders as he comes in to this Roland Garros. His overall body of work in 2023 is the main factor that gives him placement over Alexander Zverev. With that said, let's go to the next group of players. At oh, at number eight is Kaspar Ruud. At number seven, Yannick Sinner. And at number six, Andre Rublev. So, let us start with Kaspar Ruud. He appears to be someone who is stabilizing his form after a Rome semifinal. His win over Sarundalo in the quarterfinals, however, is his best win by ranking on any surface all year long. The argument for Rude would be that his clay court season followed a similar, a similar story last year where he actually struggled until reaching a Rome semifinal, winning Geneva, and then it ended playing a second Sunday in Paris. But his 2023 has been miles worse than any of the other players on this list. And even with all the success last year, I seriously question if he has the confidence to contend at Roland Garros with zero top 20 wins to his name in 2023. As for Yannick Sinner, Sinner started at number three in the power rankings due to his 2023 hardcourt form and career trajectory. And while he hasn't had a disastrous European clay court season, he certainly hasn't justified a placement nearly that high. It did start off well, reaching the Monte Carlo semifinal, but his best win of the clay court season as we stand is Hercotch by the rankings, or if we go off the power rankings, it's Lorenzo Musetti. The career experiences are still light. He hasn't ever won a big title or reached a major semifinal. So nerves could come into play if he finds himself in final weekend matches. And I felt like he just needed a big breakthrough at one of these clay masters in order to truly contend for the Roland Garros title. Simply put, at the beginning stages of these power rankings, he was really... Fly, uh, really kind of relying on the recent form to prop him up because the the long term history didn't really didn't really back up his high placement on the power rankings. And now that the recent form isn't really there, what does he really really have? Okay, let's go on to Andre Rublev at number six. Rublev is the Monte Carlo champion. But at this point, that does feel like kind of a long time ago, which is always the case with Monte Carlo. Rublev's three losses since that triumph were all to players outside of the power rankings. Andre has been someone who consistently reaches major quarterfinals, but is still looking for his first semifinal. The Monte Carlo title, a coaching shakeup, and some newfound mental peace has made Rublev, in my opinion, much more prepared mentally. But he hasn't improved quite enough technically to completely shed the perception that he will continue to make excellent runs and then just fall the top guns towards the end of the tournament. Putting Rublev over Sinner is probably the biggest example of where my subjective tennis opinion doesn't necessarily align with the data. The data 
is what mainly indicates that Rublev has to be over Yannick Sinner in this power rankings. And with that, let's go to the next grouping of players. It's a big one. It shows Stefano Tsitsipas at number five, Holger Runa at number four, Daniil Medvedev at number three, and Novak Djokovic at two. Tsitsipas, for the first time since 2020, has failed to win a clay court title ahead of Roland Garros. Still, he has had a consistent European clay court swing, quarterfinals at the first two, and a semifinal in Rome. So his game is trending in the right direction, and his career accomplishments suggest that he is a Roland Garros contender. He's been to at least the final of every big clay event on the calendar. One of the big issues with Tsitsipas, though, is his head-to-head trends against all of the players ahead of him in the power rankings. I shouldn't even say trends. His head-to-head record against every player ahead of him in the power rankings is six wins to 25 losses. And the player among those that he's had the most success against just beat him in Rome. He is 2-17 against Djokovic, Alcaraz, and Runa. Speaking of Runa, He comes in at number four. Runa has completely flipped the narrative of his 2023 season based on a big European clay court swing. Monte Carlo, final, Munich, title, Madrid, that's the early loss, third round, and Rome, another runner-up. In that stretch, he beat four top 10 players, whether you go by the actual ATP rankings or these power rankings. And considering his 7-2 career record against top five players in his career and how he's handled big matches throughout his young career, there is zero concern that he won't be able to meet the moment if he goes deep at Roland Garros. Now, traditionally, if you look at Runa's body of work, that would be the knock on him. The fact that, well, he's never gone deep in a major before, and that should factor into a power rankings. In fact, it does. But... How much does that factor in when you are looking at his age and his pattern of absolutely playing his very best tennis on the biggest stages possible? Um, So, I think the real concerning pattern for Runa is not that he has little experience contending for major titles, actually zero experience contending for major titles. I think the far bigger issue is that uh, a concerning pattern has emerged with his endurance towards the end of events. If you look at the Monte Carlo final, the Munich final, and the Rome final, his fitness and durability were less than 100% in all three cases. Moving on to Daniil Medvedev. Medvedev leads the race. He's won a major before, and he just won Rome. Those three ingredients on their own are a pretty powerful thing. The argument to keep Medvedev lower is to hold him accountable for his clay court losses before Rome, both this year and in years past. But I'm having a pretty easy time writing off those losses before this year, as his forehand is much better now. And his clay court circumstance has been really bad since 2020. And you can watch the latest Monday match analysis if you don't really know what I'm talking about there. This year, his loss in Monte Carlo 
was off a physical sunshine double. And his Madrid loss was on a court that was too small for him to use his typical return position, made worse by the server-friendly altitude and a highly aggressive Aslan Karatsev. While in Rome, the stars aligned for him and he went on a title run that saw him beat two top five players in these power rankings. I am extremely high on Daniil Medvedev coming into the French Open, as his ranking suggests at number three. Going on to number two, Djokovic is unlike any other placement on this list. Nothing he has shown during the clay swing suggests that he can win Roland Garros. He still hasn't made a clay semifinal, and his best win is over Cam Nori. I'm quite suspicious that the elbow is still an issue. Yet. If his health and fitness clicks, you're left with someone who has far more majors to his name than the rest of the field combined. And any argument that that's being too much of a prisoner of the past can easily be met with a very simple rebuttal. He won the first major of this year. This year. So, let's go to number one. No surprise. It is Carlos Alcaraz. Look, Medvedev leads the race, but Alcaraz has played three fewer events. His win percentage is 90%. He's won four titles out of seven main draw entries. And the evidence suggests that he's improved after a breakthrough season where he finished year-end number one. He won the last major he participated in, and the fact that he's not going for his first major anymore will significantly reduce the pressure. Now, the shocking loss to Morojan in Rome has made his status as the favorite a little bit less obvious, but I think overreacting to one match would be a huge mistake. The number one seed, who's a natural on clay, 30-3 and on the year, 4-0 against top 10 players, is the favorite heading into Roland Garros, bar none. And that is your 2023 final French Open power rankings. Now, uh, if you are curious in how that has changed since a month ago prior to to uh, to Madrid, uh, the fact is it doesn't change all that much with the exception of Medvedev going from 7 to 3. So he moved up four spots. Tsitsipas moving down two spots, not because he really did anything badly, but because Runa and Medvedev really, really proved themselves. And Sinner moving down two spots after pulling out of Madrid and not doing much in Rome. Again, he's someone who was really riding his recent form, and after that dissipated, there just wasn't much to lean your argument for Yannick Sinner on. And that is that. Oh, and Borna Chorich is a new addition to the power rankings. Uh, I believe, let's see, who who was on the power rankings that ended up ended up uh, getting kicked off by Chorich? Let me get that for you. That was, oh, Karen Hatchinov. Karen Hatchinov, who uh, has been very, very consistent, but uh, Borna Chorich has made a little bit, or really a lot more noise than Hatchinov at recent events. So, as I said... These are not my predictions. My predictions will come either on Thursday evening or Friday morning after the draw comes out. Can't wait for that. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. 
Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. Yeah. New episodes of Fly on the Wall and drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wall and wherever you get your podcasts.